Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. I am Dr. Bill Kanaski from Courtroom Sciences. Uh, today, today is going to be a fabulous uh, episode. Uh, our guest today is somebody I've, I've wanted on the podcast for a long time because it's uh, someone uh, that I have heard uh, is a fantastic trial attorney, uh, an amazing human being, and, and really a, uh, just a fantastic uh, person. He is plaintiff attorney and trucking attorney, Mr. Joe Freed from Atlanta. Joe, how are you today? I'm doing great. With an intro like that, I'm bound to let everybody down. So thanks a lot for setting the bar high, Bill. Yeah, you are, you are not going to let anybody down. Um, now, funny enough, we really just met, and uh, I've been I'm in my 20th year of, of of jury consulting and and witness coaching. And your names come up a lot, and and and, and I think you're one of the few people on the on the plaintiff side that I have heard a lot about. And I'm not joking, 100. percent has been positive. And when I ask, well, what like what's so different about this guy? The number one thing that keeps coming up is they say he's a very reasonable human being that's a great communicator and, and, and easy to work with. Can you talk a little bit about how being a communicator with your adversary is, is so important in litigation to, to ultimately getting what both sides want? Well, I think I mean, it's huge, but I think that there's one step before that, and that's having a mutual respect. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see too much on both sides of the fence of vilification of the other side. And, you know, you can't just disagree with somebody. You got to hate them. And um, that's just not the way I want to be. Um, so I look for reasons to get along, not reasons to not get along. And yeah. uh, and, you know, but by, by and large, um you know, when I finish a when I finish a case, even a contentious one, I'm friends with the people on the other side. Not only the lawyer, but the um, the motor carrier, the representatives of the motor carrier. You know, I, mean, I I believe that we can be adversaries when it comes to a case, but we should really never be adversaries when it comes to safety. So I try to be reasonable in my approach. I'm not a regulation at any cost guy. In fact, I'm quite yeah, the opposite. Yeah. If there's not a good reason for it. Uh, you know, my feeling is why I do it, but the, 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 I'm, I'm getting a far field of your question. I think communication is everything. And if you, if the uh, communication breaks down, uh, whether it's in a uh, professional relationship or a personal relationship, you're in trouble. Yeah. It's funny. This is kind of sound like a, a CNN or a Fox or an MSNBC interview at this point, because the same thing keeps coming up, right? It's like, why do both sides have to really hate each other and no one communicates, but maybe that's just the nature of the uh, the, 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 the country right now, but yeah, I think, I think between, uh, you know, plaintiffs and, and, and defendants, there's, there's a lot of work there that can be done, but I think you've proven, uh, there is a pathway to better communication and that's certainly your rep, your reputation. Um, I, I have a ton of questions for you. It's going to be really, really fun, but let, let's start with the most important question I have you of uh, the day. Um, um, it's my understanding that you went to the university of Georgia law school, correct? I did. Yes. Okay. And, and, and and are you a bulldog? I am a bulldog. Yeah. Okay. Now a little bit under. I'm, I'm going right into college football <laughs> predictions. Is Georgia going to three Pete going to going to three Pete? Gosh, uh, you know, I, I hope so. Um, but there's a, obviously all the football of the years left, left to be played. We, we've got um, where we got to rebuild some, some things. We lost a lot of folks to the draft and to, uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm, I am 
I'm hot on our team. We've got some disciplinary issues that we're trying to deal with. Uh, don't we all, <laughs> but, um, but we're, I'm hot on our team. So I'm, I'm looking for, I, I, I don't know if we'll make it all the way again or not, but I think we're going to be a strong contender. I, I totally agree. In in the most brutal of conferences in college football, I might add, the SEC. That's right. now, 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 Joe, I have some trivia for you. When was the last college football three-peat? I looked this up this morning and I was shocked. I don't know. I, I don't I, what three-peat in a row. Three-peat in a row. I don't know. It has to be Alabama. I mean, <laughs> ready for this? This would be the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. In 1934, 35, and 36. Good. So not too not too long since uh, we had won, you know, not as <laughs> almost as big a gap as when we had lost when we had won our last uh, national championship, right? Yeah. So so that you can you can you can you can spread the word on that. You can maybe tie the great University of of, of, of Minnesota. Well, I, I you know I, I I believe in setting goals. So there you go. There 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 you go. Um, so my first question really. Um, so, you know, in the last three or four years, everybody's bouncing off the wall regarding, uh, you know, nuclear verdicts, and everybody's focused on the big news stories, the big verdicts, some of the crazy things um, you, you've seen out there. But, we, yeah, we know these these nuclear verdicts or excessive verdicts, ab aberrant verdicts, as John Hall from Hall Bluth likes to call them, um, whatever you want to call them, they're pretty statistically rare. And so... While that may be a goal in, in, in various cases, uh, statistically, they're pretty rare. What do you do um, as, as a plaintiff attorney in the trucking industry to, to position your case during discovery to really get the best and most fair settlement uh, for your client, as opposed to thinking about the courtroom, per se? Well, you know, I... I, I, I um... Let me back up and say one thing. First of all, I think on the idea of nuclear verdicts, I, th I don't think it's just big verdicts, right? I think yeah. that they are out. I call them outperform verdicts. Mm -hmm. They're verdicts, and when you when you hear the number and you look at the facts of the injury, the damages, they don't seem to go together. They they yeah. seem to be way outperformed, and and so I always, to me, the question always is, what's a jury reacting to? Because it takes a pissed off jury to award those kind of numbers. And so they're pissed at something. And I think it's what we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about today is my yeah. guess. And that's, what is it that the defense might be doing that's pissing people off? Um, yeah. And so we'll get, well, I know we're gonna to get to that, but I wanted oh, yeah. to make a point in terms of defining this animal that we're calling um, you know, aberrant uh, verdicts. Um, now I am always thinking about the trial. So from the beginning, from the sure. first time I'm meeting the client, I'm thinking about what this might look like down the road, but um, but some of the things that that I'm doing first is uh, initially I'm I've got a very broad uh, perspective on a case. I try not to get zeroed in um, too early. I want to I want to see what's out there, and frankly, I'm looking for what I'm giving the the defense an opportunity to piss the jury off. Um, and I, I hate to say it that way, but there's the the basic development of a case. And um, you know, I've been teaching about it for years. I think there's a pretty high competence now in terms of lawyers knowing what to look for in terms of, um, you know, look at the engine control module, look at the telematics, look at the look at hours of service, look at the let, look at the peripheral things that might be systemic in nature. And that's what I not only do, but I teach is to look 
we don't look at if it's a sideswipe case, we're not looking at the five seconds leading up to the sideswipe. I mean, that I, I can I can lose that case because mm-hmm. there's always a built-in defense of you know blind spot, for instance, in that in that analogy. But in any case, an intersection case, red light, green light case, I'm not looking at that most uh, most direct uh, cause of the crash. I'm looking at the systemic. And if I can make the case about something systemic, mm-hmm. and especially if then the other side wants to fight me about that, that's the recipe for for somebody getting pissed off. And they're either going to get pissed off at me because they think I'm overreaching, mm-hmm. or they're going to get pissed off at the defense for underappreciating or or um, uh, you know trying to defend something that the jury doesn't feel is defensible, and so um, you know that then leads to I think the 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 other piece which is um, what we've already talked about the ability to communicate with the other side, and you know every every huge verdict I've ever gotten is because somebody hasn't given me what I thought was a reasonable uh, settlement. Yeah, so. and I want to I want to talk about that, Joe, because um, I, I saw one of your talks on YouTube, um, and you were showing slides, and 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 it, it by the way, fantastic talk, and um, you got to the slide, which essentially talked about it was like the eight reasons defense attorneys don't settle cases, and I fa- I found this to be fascinating because they were all true, and you talked a couple of examples about like just culturally, right? It's like if you settle a case you're weak and you know the the client doesn't want to you know look bad and then if 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 you if you're not going to trial it, again it's like this defense culture because we've seen a lot with these um very very large verdicts i look at the fact patterns and i'm thinking how in the world did this case get to a get to a courtroom right like how like with these facts how do you end up in a courtroom this is it should have been a case um, that's settled. And you taught you, you, you and, and on your YouTube um, on this talk, you talked about how um, many of these cases should be settled. And usually maybe because of um, emotional reasons, the defense is not settling and then ending up going to, to trial and, 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 and really getting whacked. Can you talk about kind of that phenomenon on, on why even if a case should be settled that on the defense side, there's this like this cultural slash emotional, it looks bad to settle or that's settling some sort of weak position when in, in reality, it's probably the smartest thing to do in many of these cases. Well, I, I think the best way that I can address that, I'm not sure exactly which presentation um, you saw, but I, I think it may have been one where I was addressing why there are nuclear verdicts yeah. um, also because, and, and, you know, the, the, there is a very big difference between the defense and the plaintiff in terms of the bar and how we teach yeah. our people to work versus, and how we do work collaboratively versus on the defense side. And you know, on our side, you know, if something good happens, good for the plaintiff side happens today in Timbuk one, by the time the lawyers get back to the office, it's been spread throughout the whole country. I mean, we, we care and we know what's going on. We've got the ear, our ear to the ground and we're getting ready to hold a, um, a summit on a particular defendant. I have you know, 35 to 40 lawyers from across the country getting together to spend a couple of days on one defendant. Um, That's incredible. Know, so so, so um, 
the level of collaboration yeah. on this side is is in, is really really high now by contrast the from what i've seen on the defense side is there's very little sharing um and so so what happens is you know i might have a case against you know, just pick any carrier, ABC carrier, it yep. probably is a real carrier. So I'm not, I don't intend it to, <laughs> you know, be a real one, That's okay. um, but whatever, you know, whatever carrier you talk about, if I've got a case against them in Georgia, I know about every case that they have ongoing around the country. Guess who doesn't oftentimes know about the rest of the litigation, the defense lawyer in any of those other cases. Yeah. And so I'm communicating with those lawyers around the country, I know what's happening in those cases. And, and so, so, so that's first, there's that level of collaboration. And then secondarily, you know, there's such infighting on the defense. I mean, there's a lot of infighting on the plaintiff side to get good cases, sure. but, but it, it's, I mean, there's such a rabid infighting that happens on the defense between you know, trying to get each other's clients. And there's such fear that some client's going to leave if you expose, you know, if, if, yeah. Expose a litigation strategy. Yeah, you um, um, there's it's a closeness to it that that it, it just you, you can't be as strong. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but you can't be as strong when you're a closed uh, situation. Now, this now the other thing, and I think it's where you're really going is there's a, 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 a no defense lawyer is going to ever get criticized for taking the case to trial because they're. They're being tough. They're being yep. tough on everything and yep. you know, try the case and by God, you know, and by contrast, if you go and I have lots of friends, as you know, on the defense side, and a lot of them have privately told me if I go back and I recommend settlement inter internally yeah. at a number that's going to get the case done, um, what I get is, are you a wimp? Are you too afraid yeah. to go try this case? Do I need exactly. to go find somebody else to try the case? Yeah. Is if you are, you know, this may be your last case for us. You better go out and do a good job. So, so, and and even worse, if you come yeah. in and you try to admit liability, yeah, come in and try to admit liability, and you're called all kinds of names. Yeah, that's a fact. Best, this is all factual, by the way. This the is best. Yeah, the best thing. I mean, you've seen, you see it, you see it up close and personal, and I see it, I see it, and frankly, I'm the beneficiary of it. You know, I mean, it's a, you know, when when you can't, when I know. That no matter how bad things are for you, you're not going to admit liability. I smile ear to ear. You yeah, know, I used to fight with people and say, "Are you kidding me? You know, you're not going to admit liability." Now yeah. I just smile. I know I'm going to win more. I'm going to win bigger because yeah. somebody's taking a position. That's really the recipe for a, an outperform verdict. Is yeah. is that you know that position? Yeah, and that's an issue internally in the defense bar. That's 100 percent true. Nobody wants to talk about it, particularly about the sharing of information, the the lack of communication, but also the whole reputational thing of if you say, hey, we need to admit liability, kind of the pressure that that comes with that, which I think is very it's unfair. Stigma. It's a stigma. It's so a it's stigma, stigma so much that it's hard to do. But I will tell you that ever since I, I, I don't, I'm not going to attribute anything to something I did. But I, I spoke about this a few years ago at DRI, probably five or six, seven mm -hmm. years ago at DRI. And I have seen a marked change since. And I've had a couple of defense lawyers who are yeah. friends of mine say that um, some of the people at that conference actually listened. And yeah. now you do see, to the chagrin of some of my friends and on my side, you do see more uh, admissions of liability. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and we we could talk about it sometimes. I, we could talk about it sometime because you and I both know there's admission of liability, and then there's what I call a half-ass admission of liability. <laughs> yeah, the exactly. The half-ass admission of liability is going to get you in more trouble than not admitting liability. Yes. When you when you pretend like you're oh, yeah. admitting liability, that's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you brought up the top topic about jurors getting pissed. So, so juror anger, um, here at courtroom sciences, uh, we have been collecting data on this issue and, um, have taken a peek at the preliminary data. And I want to share something with you. It's the first time I've brought this up, uh, on the podcast, but I'd like to get your thoughts. Drum roll, wait, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Is is it drum roll? Um, from from our both mock trials uh, and, and real interviewing jurors after real trials, what we're finding is that juror anger is is moderately correlated with 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 award amount, um, moderate at best. Okay, and there are people in the defense bar. Um, I'm sure you've seen you know Bob Tyson's you know nuclear verdict. Uh, sure training, you know, for defense yeah. or stuff like that, where they're yeah. like, it's all about anger. It's only anger. It's hundred percent anger. And as a clinical neuropsychologist, I knew it was never only about anger. It's much more complicated than that. And sure. I went to your website today to read up a little bit more about you. And you have a quote right above your picture. And it says, our job as trial lawyers is to listen, really listen so that we can find the compelling human story in our client's case. Then we have to tell that story in a way that makes it a compelling story for each juror. When the jurors can be heroes, great verdicts happen. That's on your website. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. What's not on your website is go make jurors angry <laughs> and make them vengeful. And they come out with pitch pitchforks and, 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 and torches. Because what I'm seeing in the data is there is a cluster of jurors that do indeed get angry. There's no doubt about that. But there's another proportion of jurors, Joe, that they're not angry. They're they're motivated. They're eager. Joe, they want to make a difference in the world. And when they're talking in deliberations and they're coming up with these very large damages, uh, particularly in our mock trials and in our focus groups, Joe, they're not angry. They feel uh, empowered. They are, again, they're eager, they're motivated. And I look at your quote about making these folks heroes. So to what extent, because I don't think it's wise to go in, because I think anger is dangerous. Because remember, uh, an angry juror, Joe can get angry at you, can get angry at your client, can get angry at your expert. It, that door swings both ways. To what extent do you want to empower these jurors as opposed to just only focusing on getting them pissed off? Well, it's uh, to me, to me, um, anger, and I think I'm saying the same thing you are. Anger undirected is a, is a real problem because yeah. I have no idea where the hell it's going to go. Yeah. Right? What when, when my comment about being the the jury being a hero is meant to um, hit people in a couple of ways. One is to remind people that at the end of the day, that's your decision maker, and and they're the only ones who really matter when it comes to um, you know, if if we used to think of our client as the hero, as they're, they're, you know, they're overcoming whatever happened in their life. But, you know, the hero is the is the is the is the, um, is the character in the story who gets to make a difference, yeah. right, who makes a change. And sometimes it's the protagonist, but a lot of times it's not. So I, I, th- I think that um, 
Uh, I agree. I, I'm I'm super interested in that research, by the way, because I think that it's it, it's fascinating. I agree. I think it's about motivation. So yeah. um, I think it's the you know I, I've oftentimes I've I've been fascinated that I've been fascinated that everybody all, all they want to talk about is reptile stuff all the time, yeah. and um, and you know I think I think it's smarter for both sides to to look beneath, behind, I mean, all these quote systems that people talk about and, and ask the question, what, when they work, why do they work? When they don't work, why do they not work? And that will mm-hmm. actually give you an explanation that's deeper rooted, that's more mm-hmm. more organic. And I think you're hitting on it. It's not just a pissed off jury. It's a, it's a very, it's sort of a special type of pissed off, right? It's a, it's a, it, and pissed off is not even necessarily the, the active ingredient. It's motivation is always the active ingredient yeah um yeah because if i'm it, finding it's it's i'm finding that it's empathy based empathic anger it's a because remember to be angry to truly by definition in clinicals like to be angry like you personally have to be the one getting screwed over stabbed in the back ripped off or whatever empathic anger is when you have this emotional response when somebody else has been wronged and and that's what i'm saying but I'm, well, yeah, I, I'm going to, I mean, I, just before we move past that, I, I do think the human animal is a very selfish animal. Oh yeah. A very self-centered animal. And even when we're being altruistic, we're being altruistic out of, to some degree, self-interest. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's a, it would be a mistake to throw the idea of self-centeredness out. Um, how do I motivate a jury? I'm looking for, I mean, what, what does jury selection become? Mm-hmm. If we let go of this idea that I can go and in a relatively short period of time, get so much information about a juror that I can actually stereo class them into, uh, into something and, 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 and predict how they're going to answer questions, which we could have a whole session on. Cause I yes, don't really believe, <laughs> I don't really believe that we can. Um, but now what if jury selection became really about me understanding what makes somebody tick so yeah. that I can know how to motivate them, you know, so that, that I'm much more interested in questions that go to that than questions that go to whether somebody's a tort reform juror or not, sure. because my best results have come from tort reform jurors. I mean, I'm probably the most conservative plaintiff's lawyer you'll ever meet. I come from a law and order background. Yeah. You know I mean, so, um, so to me, it's not about the politics or where somebody is politically as much as it is yeah. about, can I bring them together around a certain topic? Mm-hmm. Um, and now can I understand how they tick so that I can motivate them? I think your, your, um, uh, your question is a very insightful one. Uh, because I'm working, I'm working on it, Joe. I'm, <laughs> I, I am, I am working on it, but I'll give you an example. And I'd like to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So I do a mock trial a couple of weeks ago. There's, there's, there's 18 jurors. Okay. And we gathered, we you know put on the case, you know what a mock trial is. And we, we, we let them deliberate all that. And then we, we, we pulled them on their, their individual. Like if you're a jury of one, okay. I know your group came up with the group award, but if you were a jury of one, what would you award? Right. And I want to know whether your decision is coming more from the anger side of this, right. Or the more kind of sadness and sympathy for this plaintiff's story. What I am seeing over and over is a pattern. And again, I've got the data where I want to grow the database. So we have a lot of reliability uh, here. And what I'm thinking, I'm seeing a third angry, two thirds, 
on the other side of this, on more of the, I want to do the right thing. I feel bad for this plaintiff. Um, whereas I think the hypothesis out there from the defense bar is it's 90% anger, 10% sympathy. It's, 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 it's really not that. It's, this is a more complicated issue, Joe. Well, I, 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 um, I think there's even more variables than those. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, and I, and, and I do, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the scientific background that you do, um, or the data, but in my experience, um, you know, if I can, if I can do what it actually said in that quote, if I can find something that's compelling in the case and, yeah. and, you know, a lot of times that compelling thing is not, um, what most lawyers would go for yeah. as they're in their case. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not, you know, I, I find that coming at a flank is always better than coming, um, in some direct, almost always, I shouldn't say always, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so I'm looking for, you know, why should each juror care? And so when I'm doing, yeah. when I'm building the case, they may, they may care for different reasons, um, but that all may be triggered in a certain, in, in the same way. Like, I don't need them necessarily. I need them all to care. I don't need them all to care necessarily for exactly the same reason. Um, and you know, some people do, I think it'd be interesting if you psychologically profile them with your kind of a background, my bet is those one third jurors that are showing coming from anger, they probably just show up that way in the world, you know, they, beforehand. And you can probably, if, if we could restructure jury selection in a way for you to do some neuropsychological evaluation of oh. jurors going in, my yeah. bet is they just, they come, they're, they're, they're quick to anger and they go to anger. And there's obviously, there's lots of reasons why people do that, right? And you understand it at a deeper level than I do. And, and, we're, and we're measuring that. And what you're describing is what we're looking at now is trait anger versus state anger, meaning trait anger. You guys just got angry. They're just hardwired to be angry, right? Yeah. And we all, we all know one of these people in our lives. But then you have people that, that don't come in angry, but they end up angry based on what they're hearing. Those are two very different types of jurors. So we're trying to figure out how to identify those. I got a pretty good read uh, on that. And I will I will update you and I will update uh, the podcast yeah, world. It's when it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, mean, I, 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 I'm, I commend you for doing this um, work that I'm, that I'm hearing because I, I think it's very different than what most people are looking at. Um, I think it is. And I, I think it's right. I think the old, I mean, I, we could do a whole, a whole talk on jury selection. I mean, I think the way the plaintiffs yeah. go about doing it is largely wrong. I think 95% of the questions that get asked are worthless and, um, I, and the yeah. context in which they're asked is worthless. And that's why, you know, I mean, some of my best jury selections have been 45 minutes long, you yeah. know, when will only give me a short period of time and I get yeah. right down. Well, right in, 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 in my experience, um, I'm going to join you on this opinion. I think 95% of the plaintiff attorney voir dire questions I've heard are useless. I also think 95% of the defense attorney questions I've heard are also useless. I think they so, come from the yeah. last, you know, the longer somebody's been a trial lawyer, the longer their voir dire is. And yep, the reason exactly. is somebody told them some question was supposed to be in voir dire. And so they stuck it into their voir dire some years ago. In 1987. <laughs> they don't know why they ask the question anymore, but they still do because they know yeah. it's supposed to be part of their jury selection. 
and they don't know how it helps them actually get to a damn jury. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, so anyway, but that's, I, I agree. It's, it's, um, it's in some ways it's us, the trial lawyer dealing with our own fears, uh, when we're just up there trying to, um, form a relationship somehow yeah. with people who we don't know who scare the hell out of us at the beginning of a case. Yeah, I've had a lot of, uh, I do a lot of consulting on jury selection. And like I've told my audience, I do do plaintiff work. It's mostly in commercial and business litigation, but hey, plaintiffs are plaintiffs, whether they're people or companies. And when I'm trying to teach old dogs new tricks, right? Saying, hey, I'm a scientist. I study human behavior and decision-making. By the way, your jury pool substantially changed the last 10 years. You got to ask these new questions. You'd be amazed at the pushback I get. They still want to ask the questions from 1992, right? It's <laughs> well, I, I get that because that's their comfort zone, and yeah. you know that's why. I mean, if you've been seeing some of the stuff I've been talking about, I mean, lately, you know, one of the, I, you know, it used to be that everybody only wanted me to talk about trucking related stuff, and now I guess I've run out of things to say in trucking. <laughs> but I've really been working over the last decade about kind of rethinking the whole paradigm of a trial and. Yeah. You know, I move cases very, very quickly at trial. Um, you know, I'll put up sometimes, you know, more than I'll put up five or six or seven witnesses a day. Um, you know, at trial, we'll move through a whole trial, you know, 20, 30, $40 million case in, in, in two and a half days. Um, and I yeah, think quick, that, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I, cause that's, that's yeah. a question on my list. I, cause I wanted to, uh, I, I, my original question was, was about opening statement length. Because one of the huge mistakes I see, but again, by both plaintiff and defense attorneys, way too much information, way too long, the whole more is better approach, when I'm the exact on the opposite of that, because I know how the brain works. And I also know how uh, jury attention span uh, is atrocious, and their patience is at an all time low. Um, so kind of starting with opening, you just kind of talked about. Yeah, no, you know, first of all, I agree with problem, I agree opening, with yeah. I agree with everything you just said. I think I don't think the human attention span has ever been good. No, but, but it's worse now than ever before. I mean, all yeah. you got to do is look at social media world and everything. You know, we should be we should be learning from TikTok how to try cases now. Exactly, right? because well, that's about the attention span we've got. And I agree with you that that um, you know we're stuck because we 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 come from a legal education system that, you know, I jokingly say a lot of times you'll hear me say it at conferences, I'm surprised we don't still put powdered wigs on to go into court. <laughs> but, but, but one, one step one, but you know where we do put the, the educational equivalent of that on is in law schools every day. And when yeah. you learn right now, if you go learn how to try a case in any, just about any school, you know, that teaches that, uh, which, uh, you, you'll learn a very, very outdated model um, that is that is um, dry and boring as hell and is very formalistic where the world has become less so. Yeah. And so I think when you talk about opening statement, opening statement, we, we've forgotten to ask the question, why? What, what are we doing? I mean, mm -hmm. what's the what's our purpose when we get up there right then? And if you give the jury too much information, then you'll see, you can literally watch the, the, the eyes glaze over. Mm -hmm. yeah. Starting, oh, yeah. starting to shop their yeah. online shopping yeah. in, in their mind while you're, and they're nodding along with you. And you think, you know, you think that they're, 
they're with you. They may even jot something down, but they're really jotting down you know, what they got to remember to get at the store tonight. Yeah, you know, the grocery when, list. Because, that's yeah, because, that's what they're doing. Uh, yeah. How how am I going to stay awake tomorrow? I better buy <laughs> some, you know something to you know put uh, buy toothpicks to stick between my eyes so that I can look open. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so I I think that I think that um, you know it does depend somewhat on the case because I think that an important part of opening um, is to start the empowerment process, but it's also to make sure that people understand what the who the parties are in the case mm -hmm. and, and, but it, it should be, it should be very, it should be whatever you as a lawyer think is the right length. You should probably cut it down by at least, at least 40% from that. In half. I always, I, I tell, I tell giving, every attorney, I go, whatever you think is perfect, cut it in half. Then so I, I'm going to endorse that. I'm going to start yeah. using that as my bill, my bill rule. Um, and that and that's fine. But here's the here's the and again, this here's is here's the thing that real quick that people don't understand is less is really more. It is. It's, it's about retention. It's, it's not emphasis. About, yeah. It's not. Yeah. And so my whole concept of what's been deemed speed trial. Yeah. Which is what the you know, my our side is calling what I'm what I'm teaching now, um, is really should be called clarity trial. Yeah. And it's really about it's really about removing the cognitive. Um, I don't want the cognitive load to be any heavier on the jury than is necessary. Yeah. And so, but we've been taught, it's the opposite of what we've taught, Bill. And you, you know, you have your, 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 um, uh, your uh, psychological science background. And I don't know, did you go to law school or did you not go to? Absolutely no. not. Are you okay. kidding? I, I didn't no think way. so, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to embarrass, I didn't not no. embarrass myself. I didn't want no. to, uh, I didn't, but so here's the thing. Um, if you somebody who goes to law school, you know they they quote teach you how to think like a lawyer, and they and they indoctrinate you in these ways of how you're quote supposed to be, and just like what we've been talking about on the defense side, and what are the stoic things that not stoic the 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 um the the old school things that people have a yeah. hard time letting go of. There's a reason why they have a hard time letting go of them, and and the same is true on this side. We've been taught a very specific way. We've been taught to be issue spotters in law school. We got our points by spotting the issues. As wild and crazy as the issue is, we'd spot it, we'd get extra credit for that. Okay, well, try that crap in a, in a, in a courtroom and see what happens. Be yeah. an issue spotter in the courtroom and you're gonna get poured out as being the least credible human being in the world. Yep. So, so, and then you sit there and you go, well, wait a minute. I mean, what I got my A for in law school, I'm getting an F for, in, 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 in trial. Um, and so the reality is jurors don't care how smart you are. They don't care how, how hard you've worked. They want you to put the case up as cleanly as possible. And I view myself as mama bird. I've got to go find the worm, pick the worm, half digest the damn thing, and then feed it to the jurors in bite-sized pieces that are half digested so that it can go right into their bloodstream um, and there's no, there, and there's least amount of interference possible. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not giving them too much and hopefully I'm not giving them too little. Um, but it's, I mean, how do I, how can you put, I mean, in one case I put 17 witnesses up in a day and a half. Wow. Um, and, and uh, you know, you do the, do the math on that and you'll find that those are very short witnesses, very directed, but what had to happen first is a huge purging, a huge editing room um, it, you know, thing where, where things got cut down to just the key 
case. Yeah. And it makes everything easier and it makes it harder for the defense because, you know, the defense is trained to poke holes. Yep. So if I give fewer things for them to poke holes at, and I'm just presenting my best case, um, I got to win on my bet. I mean, a lot of times the plaintiff side says, well, what about this other issue? Maybe the jurors won't like this one issue, but they'll like this other issue. And I was telling, look, if you're not going to win on your best issue, you're not going to win. Yeah. Right. So why yeah. put up five issues when you have the burden of proof and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're causing all kinds of dissonance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those five issues don't line up exactly well. So you, there's some, there's some, uh, you got to lean one way to, to look, you know, through this lens and lean another way to look through that lens. It's just too complicated for today's world. Totally agree. This is really so, fantastic. All of that is to say, I think that that it, it should be a very rare opening statement that's more than thirty minutes long. And I think, and and yep. and I, and and I think that um, in many cases it can be done very effectively in considerably shorter than thirty minutes. I completely agree. Um, I think that is what the juror brain needs. I did write a paper on this. Uh, you're, I'll send you the paper. I wrote a paper on how the brain processes information, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I'd love to brain. see that because that yep. uh, honestly, I feel like that's what I am. I'm a student. You said, yep. you know, you're you're a you're a um, I can't remember exactly what you said it, but it, it hit me as being a student. You know that you are a, a scientist in this yep. area. How do human beings work? And I feel like that's what I am. You know, I mean, I'm I'm spending all my time now on emotional state control and how do I show up and how do I impact other people and how they show up by how I show up yeah my world you know so it's much less lawyering and much more trying to understand the human animal well so what yeah you have all my papers you have the litigation psychology podcast to listen to you have all the, you know. I, I got some catching up to do <laughs> I, I, I know I, but but I, honestly I'm I really am looking forward to to that because um you know you and I have not really had a chance to talk before today other than yeah. superficially and and I like what I'm hearing in terms of I think you're going at this, looking at the right, um, you're looking for the actual set of ingredients behind the hype. Yeah. There's so much around the hype now. I mean, yeah. I, if I hear one more, I mean, now there's a, there's not only there's a reptile, but now there's a mongoose. I understand oh, the mongoose yeah. eats the reptile and then we have yeah. to have anti-mongoose. I don't know what eats a mongoose. I mean, is I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Insurance Cobra, companies, maybe. <laughs> King, King Cobra. I don't know what it is, but. All of these, and it, it is fascinating to me. And, you know, the thing about something like reptile, there's some really important things to learn out of that. I agree. Uh, now, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even sure what it exactly means anymore, except yeah. it's become a heuristic for this idea of fear-based, Yeah, you know, dr driving a fear-based um, thing. I, I do think forever plaintiffs have looked Smart plaintiffs, lawyers have looked for a way to make a case about something more important than the underlying facts of the case. That's yeah. good lawyering. Nobody, yeah. nobody, you know, honestly, I don't think um, I always tell people on the defense side, y'all are the ones who invented the reptile. You know, I mean, back when I was coming up, I was taught that if I overreach, I'm going to get my arm bitten off by the jury. Yeah. And back at that time, it was more true than it is now. Uh, but the plaintiffs plaintiffs have studied and have learned how to talk to jurors in a, in a different way. I agree. And right now where the, where the pendulum is, and it always swings, yep. but right now where the pendulum is, we're doing a better job than the defense. And that's not, I'm not saying nanny, nanny, boo, boo. It's no, just I, the truth of where we are right now. I, I, I think that's a factual statement.
Um, and I, th I think, um, and I do think that the, the defense attorneys, uh, defense bar, uh, I have seen a lot of effort to you know, improve communication, improve training, improve all this stuff. Like I said, it's pendulum, it's going to take time, but I think there is some still some work to do on the defense side. We'll continue our interview with attorney Joe Freed in the next episode of the Litigation Psychology Podcast.